Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. My name is Harrison. We're just so excited that you took the time to join us for this message. This is the fourth and final in our series, Asking for a Friend. And guess what? You're in for a special treat for all of our podcast listeners because this is an exclusive recording strictly for the podcast. If you're wondering why, it's because our file corrupted and so we do not actually have a recording from this last Saturday. Uh, But the essence says this is the end of our series and so there was many people that uh, just couldn't make it that have been following along for this series. We've been teasing it uh, so much that we wanted to make sure that you had something to listen to. So uh, special. This is exclusive for our podcast listeners. Uh, We love you guys and we'll hope, we hope, that you enjoy this message. It's the fourth uh, in our series and the question that we're asking today is how can good people go to hell? Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've really been enjoying this series. I've just been enjoying uh, answering hard questions. And I like hard questions because they force me to get back into the Word and just see what the Bible has to say about things. And one thing I've realized is that for every objection we have, every tough question, I think that the Word of God gives us reasonable answers. And so today, as we dig into hell, uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look in the Bible. We're going to see what the Bible has to say uh, about this topic of hell. So as we get started, uh, I just want to start with a story. I know that uh, many of you guys are probably aware of this. We live in a world of offense where everyone is offended. It doesn't really uh, <laughs> seem to take much these days. And uh, for someone like myself that communicates a lot, uh, I'm sure there have been moments where I've offended people. And uh, when it comes to larger group settings, like if I'm preaching, uh, I don't really care if I offend people and I hope that doesn't offend you. Uh, but I'm still, I have a heart. And so, uh, nothing worse than offending someone in person. And, uh, a few months back, I, I made a mistake. Come on, somebody. I made a mistake. We were, uh, I had just been asked to speak, uh, at a church. And, uh, after I'd spoken, uh, the pastor and his wife, he took us out to eat and, and we had some friends there as well. And, uh, one thing you need to know about me is that I'm not that great at small talk. Uh, I'm better at just like one-on-one talk or one-on-zero where I'm just speaking, uh, but small talk, like I'm not that not that good at, and so uh, we were at this lunch, just having lunch, trying to make small talk, and um, I was just asking uh, pastor, I said, hey, what, what's, your, what's your son's names again? He has three sons, um, and his son's names are Ashley, Emery, and Sydney. Really cool names, and uh, obviously those are unisex names, right? And unisex is the name that could be used for a boy and a girl. Um, now, in the moment, in the heat of this conversation, uh, I didn't quite have <laughs> that term in my head. And so, uh, just in the sake of making the conversation go, uh, I said something. How many guys ever said something and as soon as you said it, you regretted it? And so I asked him, I said, oh, that's cool. Uh, did you intentionally give them girl names? And as soon as I said it, I was like, that was probably not the best way to say it and I could see that they were slightly offended and they're good people they're great people and so they didn't overtly say anything but (laughs) I could tell they weren't really feeling it um, and I just I felt bad because I probably offended them I didn't mean it like that what I meant to say was did you intentionally choose unisex names but I messed up. Come on, somebody. I messed up. Uh, I'm sure. And if you could think about some, all of us have a, a moment or a time where I'm sure we've offended people in the past. We've offended someone. And uh, 
And that's kind of where we're going today with this message. The question that we're looking at is the idea of hell. Now, the reason that I've been teasing this message, the reason that I've saved it for the very end, because I think it's probably one of the hardest to answer, um, because hell is something that so many people find offensive. What is offensive is the thought that a loving God, a good God, could actually punish people. That God could, could send people that just didn't want to follow Him to hell. Like, it doesn't even make sense for a lot of people. It's just offensive. And so... Uh, that's kind of the question that we want to dive into today. How could God send good people to hell? Uh, Peter Kreeft, he's a Christian philosopher, uh, apologist, professor. He's written books, all these things. Uh, he says this, and I'm going to share a few different quotes today, so I uh, hope you can you know, follow along um, what I'm saying. Uh, Peter Kreeft says this. He says, Of all the doctrines in Christianity, hell is probably the most difficult to defend, the most burdensome to believe, and the first to be abandoned. In other words, out of everything that we as, as Christians believe, hell is probably the toughest to really wrap your heads around. It's the toughest to, to defend, the toughest to believe. And look what he says. He said it's the first to be abandoned. In other words, even people that are believers in God, in the Bible, are like, you know what? I just cannot believe in hell. There's just, it's too challenging. It's too difficult to wrap my head around. And so, out of this, because for so many people hell is offensive, it's just too hard to wrap, uh, there's come this, this branch of people that said, oh, okay, you know what, uh, hell is offensive, God is love, God is good, so what if we just believe everyone is saved in the end? And so this is the idea of universalism. Now, universalism, what this is, it's the idea that says all sinful and alienated humans, because of divine love and mercy, will ultimately be reconciled to God. In other words, God is good, God is love, and so there's no way there could be judgment. Everyone is saved in the end. Now, I'm not sure what you feel when you hear that, but maybe it makes you feel good inside. It kind of gives you that, that warm feeling, those rainbows and butterflies, and it may sound good. In the end, everyone is reconciled. Everyone is saved. The question we have to ask, though, is this true? Is this true? Now, perhaps the, the biggest problem to universalism is the Bible, and most specifically, it's Jesus, because Jesus himself speaks a lot about hell. In fact, most of what we know about hell comes from Jesus himself. Here's one example, Matthew 13, verse 41, speaking about the end and the final judgment, it says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they'll weed out his kingdom. Everything that causes sin and all who do evil, they will thrown. They will be thrown into the burning furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so Jesus here, he makes this distinction, right? He says some people are going to go um, <clears throat> to, to salvation where there's going to be, it's going to shine like the sun, it's going to be awesome, but then there's this other picture of judgment. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of the teeth, and he uses the language of the blazing furnace. And so, what's interesting is that there's been a group of people recently, it's like, you know what, <clears throat> we love Jesus, we believe in Jesus, um, let's actually forget the whole Bible, and let's just, let's just follow the words of Jesus. These guys are, are known as red-letter Christians. If you guys have Bibles, sometimes you'll see the words of Jesus are in red, and so they consider themselves red-letter Christians. In other words, I just follow the words of Jesus, I don't need the Old Testament, I don't need Paul, don't need Peter, just Jesus. Now, the only problem with this is that Jesus himself speaks plainly about hell. One commentator puts it like this. He says, Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. 
and describes it more vividly. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. So, So here's the problem. We can say, man, I don't like hell. Hell is offensive. I don't believe in it. The problem with that is the Bible and Jesus himself specifically leads us in a direction to the truth, which is there is some form of judgment. And hell is an absolute reality. And so, for the for the, the message, I don't want to take so much time debating whether there is a hell, whether there is a judgment, because I think the Bible is very clear and very plain that there is. Instead, what I want to do is I want to begin to ask the question, why? Why does there need to be judgment in the first place? And really, this goes back to that idea. How can good people go to hell? You see, I think for a lot of people, the reason that hell is so offensive is because every single one of us, we have a picture of someone in our lives. And maybe it's someone that we consider a good person. It's like, man, that person is good. They're kind. In fact, I think they're nicer than me. They just don't, they don't believe in Jesus. And so how can they face judgment? How can they go to hell? It's just, I know too many good people. And I think the reality is this, for so many of us, most of the people that we think in our lives, whether it's a friend or a family member, our general perception is like, you know what, I think they're kind of, they're good people. Uh, this last week I was, I was driving uh, with someone and we were talking and uh, he, he had just picked me up and I, I didn't know who he was and he asked what I do um, if I'm working because, you know, it was like, two o'clock in the afternoon and people are like, why aren't you working? And then I have to explain, I don't have an office, <laughs> all that good stuff. I'm a pastor. And uh, so I just, you know, told him what I did. And then I asked him, I said, Hey, are you a Christian? Do you go to church or anything like that? Uh, and he's like, yeah, I'm a believer. I believe in God. I just, I don't go to church or anything like that. I just really believe that, you know, we need to be good people. It all just comes down to us being good people. Now, I think this guy kind of actually paints uh, a picture of what so many people believe, and it's this idea that life boils down to morality, right? Either you're a good person or you're a bad person. Now, this is what I call Santa Claus theology. It's like, are you on the naughty list or the nice list? And God is up there, he's checking it twice, and people are either lost or saved based on how good they are. Now, the problem with this is that I think this picture... Uh, of both eternity in heaven and hell uh, is contrary to what the Bible actually teaches. Because what I want us to see is that the Bible does not teach that eternity um, comes from behavior. Eternity is not determined by behavior. And so, in order for us to better understand hell, we need to understand salvation. And so the point, I just said it again, if if you're a note-taking people, you can write this one down, it's that eternity is not determined by behavior. What do I mean by that? Let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. This is what it says. This is a famous verse. You may have heard it before. It says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, there's two things that I need to understand in there. This is what it says. It says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Now, This is very important because what Romans 3.23 is doing, it's setting the benchmark for our morality. And the reality that Romans chapter 3 verse 23 is letting us know is that every single one of us falls short. In other words, none of us are good enough. You see, the essence of what this is doing, it's setting the base mark of our morality as God. 
It says, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, the reason that so many of us have this picture of people, and it's like, man, I think they're kind of good people, or that person's all right, is because we are often comparing them to other people. And we do this with ourselves as well. It's like, you know what, like, I'm better than my coworker. I'm not as angry as my, as my brother or my sister or my spouse or whatever it may be. And what happens is we set our morality benchmark with people. And so compared to other people, it's like, I'm pretty good. Compared to that guy that robbed the bank, I'm a good dude. But I love what the Bible tells us because the Bible is saying, guess what? All of us fall short. None of us are good. It is funny because I think we have this picture of people, and I'm not sure what your perception of me is, and I'm not asking you to form an opinion, but I want you guys to know, even though I'm a pastor, even though I'm trying to follow after God at my very core, I would still consider myself wicked, wretched, and bad. <clears throat> because the reality is this, there's things inside of me, and I'm like, man, like where did that come from? I have thoughts sometimes, I have, I have feelings, whatever it may be, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like why is that in me? Well, the Bible lets us know that every single one of us falls short, and every single one of us is filled with, with sin and filled with things that just push us below the standard of God. But this is very important to understand, because for so many people, it's like, well, how could good people go to hell? Here's the reality. If we all fall short, if all of us fall short of God's standard, what that means, this is super important, is that salvation and damnation cannot be based on morality or behavior. Did you guys get that? Salvation cannot be based on morality or behavior. So many of us have an idea. It's like, if I'm just good enough, I think I'm going to get to heaven. But that's not the picture the Bible paints. Look what Paul says going on, Romans 3, verse 24 now. It says, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. Come on, somebody. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. If, if you guys are listening right now, if you're at the gym, just shout amen, because this verse is really the gospel in a nutshell. It says the only way we're made right is through Jesus, and he's done this. We are made right in God's sight through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. He freely gave us this. It's a gift. And so this is so important. Salvation cannot be something that we attain based on morality, behavior, or anything of such. Salvation comes strictly from putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ crucified. There is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. It's a gift that you do not deserve. If any of you guys, have, and this should change our lives, because if anyone has ever gotten a gift that they don't deserve, you know what it's like. One thing that for me, and I say this for everyone, like anyone in a relationship, especially guys, like, I'm just gonna be honest, you probably don't deserve that girl that you're with. That's just, that's just the reality. And, and so for myself, like every single time I think of my wife, it's like, man, that's a gift. But even more so than that, it's crazy. Like Christy, she'll just do things for me sometimes. And I'm like, man, like, I don't even know why she did that. Like a few weeks ago or, or last week, she, you know, I woke up in the morning, came down to my home office and uh, there was a letter from Christy. And in the letter, she just wrote all these things that, you know, she cared and appreciated and just really pumping my tires. And uh, it's so crazy because, like, it wasn't my birthday. It wasn't Valentine's Day. It wasn't anything special. It was literally just like a Wednesday. 
but that was a gift that she gave me that I did not deserve. And so uh, it made me feel amazing. And so what I'm trying to say is that that is the exact same gift we get from Jesus. There is nothing that we could do to deserve it because here's the reality we need to understand. The Bible lets us know that every single one of us, humanity, is separated from God because of sin. In other words, because of that thing, those things in our lives, that, that evil inside of us, that hatred inside of us, whatever it may be, it separates us from God. And the reality is the consequences for sin is death. And so everyone deserves death. Everyone deserves damnation. That's the reality. But what the Bible lets us know is that Jesus comes and takes our place. Jesus bridges the gap. And so what I'm trying to say, what I want us to understand is that eternity is not based on behavior. And when I speak of eternity, not just heaven, it's hell. Because what that means is this, you are not damned based on behavior. Is everyone following? Eternity is not based on anything like that. It is strictly based on are we willing to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. I love 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is what it says. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but, look at this word, everyone to come to repentance. You see, here's the reality. Uh, and this, this Bible verse is rich, and I'll kind of explain it more in a second. But what this is letting us know is that because of Jesus, because Jesus has bridged the gap, he's bridged it for everyone. Every single one of us can achieve salvation. Every single one of us can be saved. You see, the reason that it says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, Peter is writing to a group of people, uh, to Christians, that are anxiously waiting for Jesus to return. And so because their Savior has not come back, people are mocking. Like, oh, you really believe that he's coming back? You really believe in this Jesus guy? And Peter says, hey, hey, hey. Keep the faith. Hold on. Persevere. He's not slow. He's coming back. But the reason he's not back yet, this is so important, is because he wants every single person to come to repentance. He wants everyone to be saved. And so next time we're saying to ourselves, man, how come this world is the way it is? Why doesn't Jesus just come and make it right once and for all? Peter is saying, here's the reality. Jesus has not come back yet because he wants more people to be saved. He wants more people to experience salvation. That is so beautiful. The reason he says God is patient with us, he's speaking to those who are going to be saved, those who are going to heaven. He's saying God is patient because you have a job to do. If you believe in Jesus, you're covered, you're saved, you need to share that good news with other people. Because the reality of God, the reality of the cross, is that He has reconciled it for everyone, once and for all. Come on, somebody. Now, the thing we looked off at the top, universalism, where it says that everyone will be reconciled to God. You see, in it, it's the, the, the concept, universalism, I don't believe it's biblical, but in it, there's, there's shards and shreds of truth. Because the reality is God does want everyone to be saved. Everyone can be saved. Everyone can choose salvation. But where universalism falls short is universalism says that everyone will be saved. Everyone will come together. But the Bible lets us know that even though salvation is available to everyone, not everyone will choose it. Because here is something you need to understand about God. And this is so important. Again, if you're taking notes, and I want to encourage you. I know it's a podcast. You might be at the gym or whatever. But understand this, you can write this one down, freedom is sacred for God. For God, freedom is sacred. What that means is that God loves us so much, He wants us to be saved. 
all of that stuff. But inevitably, at the end of the day, God will let us choose because God considers human freedom sacred. In other words, he is not going to force anyone to do anything, force anyone to follow him. Freedom is sacred. J.P. Moreland, uh, another philosopher, he puts it like this. This is so, um, I just love how he says this. He says, hell is a place for people who, given what they need to belong in heaven, which is just submission to Jesus, do not want to go to heaven. Thus, hell is the natural consequence of the choices that people make. It is a monument to human freedom. I need you to catch that last part. He says, hell is a monument to human freedom. In other words, the only reason people will ever go to hell, this is so important, is if they choose to go there. We have one of two choices, to accept the gift of Jesus or to go and let us experience freedom and whatever we want. And so hell is a monument to human freedom. Because here's a reality I want us to understand. Matthew 25, this is Jesus again speaking about judgment and in the end times, the end of times. He says this, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. In other words, those who he has to... Um, who choose to go to hell. He says, depart from me into eternal fire. But look at this. He says, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is so important. Talking about the last judgment, he's saying, hell is a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. And in other words, hell was never and is still never meant for humans. It, it was meant for the devil. That's it. And this is so important because people have this idea that God created hell for bad people. That, that, that he can throw them there. But the reality of Scripture is this. Hell was never meant for people, and no one has to experience it. The only people that will go there will choose to go there. That's the reality. And so, this is the beauty of Jesus, though, I think, is that no one has to experience it. No one has to experience damnation. You have people in your life. 2 Peter 3.9 says, what are you waiting for? Tell them the good news. Share the message of Jesus. No one has to experience it. Now, for some people, they say, okay, I get that. It's a choice, and, and God doesn't send people there, but why is there a hell in the first place? Like, Why does there need to be any punishment at all? Here's the reality, and this is the second thing I want to dig into. The first thing is that eternity is not determined by behavior. I hope you understand that. I hope you wrote that one down. Here's the second point that we need to understand. The justice of God requires judgment. The justice of God requires judgment. In other words, in order for God to be righteous, righteous, there must be some sort of judgment. If there was no judgment, if God just let everyone do whatever they want, run, uh, run as they please, do whatever they want, God himself would not be just. I'll, I'll explain it like this. I'm not sure if any of our uh, podcast listeners out there, you guys enjoy uh, crime documentaries. Um, I love, <laughs> I'm kind of into these on Netflix, and I'm not saying watch them, I'm not recommending them, I'm just telling you that I'm into them. And so I watched one uh, recently about a serial killer, he's Canadian, uh, his name is Luca Magnata. Um, you may have seen this documentary, uh, you may have heard of him on the news from a number of years back, but uh, he's kind of... Uh, story is that he, he tortured cats uh, and he eventually would go on to murder um, a young student uh, and cut all of his body parts up, send it to, to various political parties. It's just, it's, it's a gross story, sick story. Um, but the essence of the documentary, at the end of it, uh, Luca goes to jail 
and he's currently still in jail. Now, for a lot of people, uh, it's like, okay, justice is served, right? He's in jail. Uh, I'm someone, I don't know if you guys are like this, but after I watch something, like I'll do a deep dive, uh, just trying to find out more information. And so uh, I was just looking up Luca Magnota after this, uh, kind of see what his life is like now, what's, what's he up to now. What I found out was this, Luca, uh, since he's been in jail, uh, he's actually gotten married uh, to one of his uh, fellow inmates, and there was an intimate ceremony his mother was able to attend. Uh, and, and this is also what he said. It's a direct quote about his experience while he's in prison. He says, we have movie nights. We all have our own TVs. I have a painting class. I exercise a lot, and I practice language studies. Now, this is someone that did just sick and twisted things. And from everything that we can figure out, everything we can find out about this guy... He has no sign of remorse, no sign of repentance, and the fact that he got caught, the fact, the fact that his name is now known actually brings him joy. Now, I'm not sure about you guys, but when I, when I hear stories like this, something inside of me cries out for justice. Like, is this really fair? Is, is this really the end of his story? Now, you may not know Luca Magnota, but what about Adolf Hitler? Many of us know Hitler. He's responsible for the, murder, the murders of, of literally millions of people. Now, Hitler's... Uh, consequence here on earth. Uh, I'm not sure if many people know this. You may have learned about it in history class. But by all accounts, before the, the Nazis were defeated, Hitler was about to be captured. Uh, he killed himself. He put a bullet through his brain, and he died by what all accounts is a painless death. Now what that means is the consequences for Hitler, let's just say universalism is true. Everyone's reconciled. There is no judgment. The consequence for everything he did was absolutely nothing. There's no punishment. Again, I'm not sure about you, but something inside of me cries out for justice. How could this really be true? You see, the idea we're looking at, it's this, and for people, it's again, like, you know, hell is offensive, punishment is offensive. How could a good God punish people? Here's the reality. In the same way people say that, if universalism was true, if everyone is reconciled, if all of these serial killers, Adolf Hitler is rec reconciled with no punishment, the same question could again be asked about God, which is, is God just? How could a just God allow him to go freely unpunished? No consequence. You see, for Christians in different parts of the world, the fact that there would be no judgment would be just as offensive as those of us in the Western world who think, you know what, judgment is offensive. There's places in the earth, and I know this happens in Canada as well, but there's kids literally being sold into the sex trade industry at young, young ages. There's people dying for their faith, killed, murdered, tortured. And for all of these people, and I don't mean this in, in, in a way, but there are sick people out there, listen to this, that will never face any sort of judgment here on earth. Many people will go their whole lives without getting caught, without ever repenting, and they will just die. And so if we were to say, you know what, that is the end of their story, there's no consequence, there's no justice, we would then have to ask the same question that people ask about hell, and it's this, is God really just? If there's no consequence. But what we're trying to say is that the justice of God requires judgment. You see, this is very important for Christians because as many of you guys know, the Christian philosophy is that we don't seek revenge. We don't believe in vengeance. 
And the reason, listen to this, the reason that we don't seek revenge is because we believe in the justice of God. Look what Romans 12 says, starting in verse 17. It says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, look at this. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Here's the reality. The reason that as believers we don't seek revenge is because we believe that God is just and God will give people what they deserve in one way or another if there is never any form of repentance. Now understand this, as believers, we seek justice. We need to be champions for people, for, for, for people in the human traffic. Like we are as Christians, we need to be in the front lines seeking justice, but we do not seek revenge. We do not turn the other cheek and, and what is done to us, we do to them. But part of that is because we believe that God will pay it in the end. And the two truths are this. Here's the reality of vengeance. We will never be able to fully avenge a wrong. No matter what is done, nothing can pay it back that we can do as humans. And the truth then is that we believe that God is just enough to take care of it. We believe that God is the one that will do the punishment. And so the point, again, is that the justice of God, if God is really good, there has to be punishment. As parents, you know this. If you're a parent and you never, ever punish, people would not say you're a good parent. And so it's the same thing with God. If God is all-loving, the fact of the matter remains, and Romans says it, the righteous anger of God, there is actually an anger that is righteous. And so the justice of God requires judgment. Now, for some people, they say, okay, I get that. Like, I get that there needs to be punishment. But could, could God really burn people? Like, I can't imagine a good God actually burning people. That's just, that seems too much. But here's what you need to understand about heaven and hell. Is that every single time the Bible talks about them, it is speaking metaphorically. I'll share a quote. This is from Timothy Keller. Uh, he's an amazing author. Uh, I'd encourage you guys, check him out if you don't know him. This is what he says. He says, all descriptions of heaven and hell in the Bible are symbolic and metaphorical. Each metaphor suggests one aspect of the experience of hell. For example, fire tells us of the disintegration, while darkness tells us of the isolation. Having said that does not imply that heaven or hell themselves are metaphor, metaphors. They're very much realities, but all language about them is elusive, metaphorical, and partial. This is so huge. You see, we understand that there is judgment, and the justice of God requires judgment. But what we need to understand, because for some people, they can't wrap their mind around this picture of like, well, is God really burning people? Like eternally burning? That's, that's tough for me to grasp. What Timothy Keller is saying, he says, understand this, heaven and hell, when the Bible speaks about it, it is speaking in a way uh, that is symbolic. Because here's the reality of both heaven and hell. We as people cannot understand them fully. Literally speaking, there's no way to literally describe hell or literally describe heaven. Everything is a symbol. And so the fire is there to symbolize something. You see, the big picture, this is, understand this, the big picture of hell, what is hell? Hell is eternal separation from God. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His might. The reality of hell is that it is in the absence of God. Now, 
the reason the Bible uses language such as burning and eternal fire is because what it is trying to do, it is trying to let us know what hell is like. It's just a symbol. Much in the same way a ring is a symbol for marriage. But no one would ever say that a ring is the full picture of marriage. It's just there to symbolize something, but the reality of marriage is marriage is much greater than a ring. And so for some people, you could say, guess what? Uh, there might not actually be any flames in hell. It's just eternal separation. Some people are like, all right, okay, like right, I'll experience that then. But what you need to understand is this. The picture that Jesus and, and John and, uh, and Paul are trying to paint about hell is that the only way they could actually describe it is by using flames and fire. Because they're trying to tell you exactly what it will be like. And the reality of hell is that to be eternally separated from God will be like what it feels like to be burnt forever and ever and ever. Could there be flames? Sure. But the reality of what they're trying to paint, the picture they're trying to paint, is of eternal separation. Now, I think we all can understand this. I think we would all agree with this. What that means is for hell... The pain in hell is not necessarily physical, it's emotional. I, I think we could all agree with this, emotional pain is far worse than physical pain. Anyone that's lost a loved one, anyone that has just lost something that is dear, that has felt that emotional distress, emotional anguish, you know that it is much worse to feel that than it is to feel physical pain. That's what hell is like, and that's what the Bible is trying to say. It's an emotional anguish to be externally, uh, eternally separated from God. Because this is something that we as people cannot even imagine, because we live in a world that is actually, the psalmist tells us, the world is filled with the glory of God. And so even though people on this place, maybe they don't all believe in God, they don't all worship God, God's grace is still here. His glory fills this place. He causes the sun to rise, the sun to set. What this is saying, though, is that hell is a place totally separate from God. And so we as people have never experienced that. We cannot experience that. We can't even fathom it. And so that's why the Bible has to use this language. It's to paint us this picture. And so here's what I'm trying to say. Hell is actually far worse than we could ever imagine. But the reality as well, then, is that heaven is far better than we could ever picture, ever imagine. There are two realities that we as finite beings on this planet cannot understand and we cannot reconcile. And so the big picture of scripture when it talks about hell, it's literally just trying to tell us it is a place you don't want to go because we as people were never meant to experience eternal separation from Jesus. But again, the justice of God requires that there be some form of judgment. Now, the main thing I want us to get is this. The only way that people get to hell is if they choose to be there. The only way people go to hell is if they choose to be there. So this is what I want to finish on. This is my final thing, uh, my final point. It's the scandal of grace. I want to talk about the scandal of grace. Luke 23 says this. This is a famous story of Jesus being crucified. Many have heard this. This is a verse that's well known on Easter, it says this, on the cross, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. There's so much good stuff, so much rich stuff in here. You see one criminal hurling insults at Jesus. Who are you? you like, 
whatever, you're the Messiah? Seriously? Why are you hanging here then? The other criminal, though, he says, don't you fear God? He says, we're, we're up here. We deserve to be up here. Now, history does not tell us what these people did. Some people believe they're murderers. Other think they're, others think they're political zealots. It doesn't really matter. But at least for this criminal, he at least acknowledges that whatever he's done, he deserves to be up there. He's deserved to be crucified. That's, that's a damning statement to essentially say, I deserve this. But look what happens next. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I love this thought, and this is the scandal of grace. What Jesus lets us know is that you can receive salvation in a moment. You can receive salvation in a moment. This man deserved death, whatever he did. And he would go on to die on that cross. But I love Jesus because Jesus says, guess what? Today you will be with me in paradise. What that means is you can receive salvation in a moment. This man on the cross, he didn't get down. He didn't have time to go right his wrongs, to go live a righteous life. All he could do in that moment was put his trust in Jesus, to accept Jesus. And Jesus says, you are saved. You are saved. Now listen to this. Here is the scandal of grace. You see, I think more scandalous than hell is grace. Why do I say that? Because what grace lets us know, what Jesus lets us know, is that you can live a bad life. You can live a life filled with mistakes, and in a moment, in the snap of a finger, everything can change, and you can receive salvation. That's scandalous. You want to know something? We talk about people, people who are evil and do crazy things. The reality of Jesus, the reality of grace, is that if they were ever to repent, if they were ever to fully turn their hearts toward Jesus, no matter what you have done, Jesus is there to receive us with open arms. What that means is every single day we have the choice to follow God or not. He's constantly seeking us. Grace is crying out to us. So here's what I want us to understand. Salvation is so much easier for us to receive than damnation. I'd put it like this, it's actually hard for us to be lost. Because to be lost, you have to continually and constantly make the choice to live without Jesus. But to earn salvation, all you have to do is call on the name of Jesus. And so what that means is this, there is no such thing as God sending people to hell. Ultimately, hell is not God's decision to live without us. It's humanity's decision to live without God. I want to share a quote from C.S. Lewis as we close, and I'd encourage you, if this message wasn't enough, I, and I hope this podcast recording did justice to the original message. But if you want to know more about, about hell, man, I encourage you to read C.S. Lewis. I just think he, he has so much gold, so much he wants to say. But I want to read a quote because I think that he, he just paints a picture beautifully. This is what he says. He says, in the long run, the answer to all of those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and, every, and offering every miraculous help. In other words, C.S. Lewis is saying, everyone who's against hell, what are you asking God to do? To, to forgive them? To forget? Lewis says this, he has done so in Jesus. Are you asking God to forgive them? 
Sadly, they do not want to be forgiven. Are you asking God to leave them alone? Alas, I'm afraid that is what he does. It's, it's a beautiful but chilling quote. He said, the objection to hell is, how could God really do this? Would God really want to punish people? You see, the reality we learn in the Bible is that God's will is that none shall perish. But in the end, freedom is so sacred for God. If people do not want to repent, if people do not want Jesus to cover their sin, He will allow them to make the choice upon all the way up until death. The choice for freedom. You see, the very objection to hell is found in hell. You don't want to go there. All you have to do is say, I don't want to. I want to follow Jesus all the days of my life. C.S. Lewis famously says this as well. He says, every single one of us will come to a time where we can ask ourselves, are we willing to, are we willing to bow down in the foot of Jesus, the foot of the cross, and say, Jesus, thy will be done. But if we do not do that, Jesus will in turn say to us, thy will be done. In other words, he will let us choose freedom up until the point of death. But the point I want us to see is that salvation is so much easier to receive than damnation. And it is available to every single person through Jesus. All we have to do is seek after him. All we have to do is say, God, I give my everything to you and we will be saved. Salvation can come in an instant. Hey, why don't we just pray together? Dear Jesus, thank you so much that we could just learn more about you, God. Thank you so much that salvation is available through your name, God. I just thank you for everyone listening to this message. I pray that it blesses them, that encourages them, and that they can just see the goodness and the grace that you offer all of us. We love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want to know more about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. You can learn everything and anything you want. And we just can't wait to hear you uh, and see you, I should say, in person. Until next time, take care.